This is City AM Unregulated. I'm Emma Hazlett. And I'm Zach Meir on this week's show, The Art of Marketing. Sadly, you notice your tongue does seem to be rather too big for your mouth, and they're quite right. We're joined by marketing agency chairman Barry Jones. <laughs> At the end of this, you really have become quite drawn into the advertisements that I think you pick it up quite easily. And producer of the Marketing Mind podcast, Shona Ghosh. There's quite a nice definition of a brand, which is that a brand is a promise. And the promise in that ad is, we will make you feel better about yourself. Welcome to City AM Unregulated. Hello, welcome to this week's City AM Unregulated. This week we're asking what the art of marketing is. Can small businesses get involved in big marketing or is it just for the multinational brands? We're joined by Barry Jones, chairman and founder of Hogarth Worldwide, whose marketing agency was bought by Sir Martin Sorrell's WPP. And Shona Ghosh from Campaign, who produces the Marketing Mind podcast. So Shona, let's start by getting a feel for the advertising and marketing business. In a post-Brexit world, how is the industry faring? So I think with the new cabinet being formed, something we're sort of hearing more from the agencies than the brands is that sort of uh, there's a there's a keenness to understand sort of the importance of advertising to the new cabinet and the new government. So that's sort of one thing. Um, Post-Brexit, I think emotionally, the mood has generally been one of disappointment. Um, and there's sort of there's sort of nothing very uh, sort of confirmed about budgets being cut or suspended. But we're sort of hearing that some projects have either been pulled or kind of being paused while sort of brands and clients sort of feel their way through the post-Brexit environment. Um, and obviously some agencies have spoken about sort of potentially moving headquarters from London. But it sort of there's nothing sort of very solid that's happened just yet. It's sort of talk. Um, but generally the mood, I would say, is one of worry. And Barry, what are you saying? Well, you see, you see some nervousness on the client side. There's uncertainty. They're not quite sure where things are going to go, so they're cautious with their money. They use it as an excuse not to spend. They use it as an excuse to, to cut money in areas that they were considering cutting anyway. And I think in the agencies, there's a, you know, there's a cutback on freelance staff, and there's just a general tightening up as everybody takes stock of the new situation. Are there any positives? Is, is there anybody saying, yeah, this is, this is great, we're going to do this, now we can do that, or, or we just focus on the UK, we're going to have a big push there, anything like that? Well, I mean, it's, it, it's good for anybody who can help the marketing companies uh, save money uh, because they're, you know, they, that's come back on the agenda with everybody again. So any you know, reorganisation of production in which they can save money is now popular. Um, what about for the big brands, the Coca-Cola, the, the big global brands? Is, that, is Brexit affecting them in any way or is it just a kind of buzzword they keep hearing? I think not directly. I think it's something for some, something like Coke, a brand like Coke, always wants to know the sort of mood of the consumer. So um, certainly for Adlan, sort of Brexit has been an insight into what is going on outside London. Certainly the ad agencies can be very London-focused, very inwardly-focused, and actually the fact that Brexit came as such a shock was um, very indicative of what was going on in terms of the national mood. So I think sort of information like that is quite useful to Coke and may you know, help them make some sort of tactical decisions with advertising. But, I mean, generally, I don't think they're going to see a sort of massive dent Sorry. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't seen the, uh, our big clients making any really solid moves. Um, it, it, it's more of a, a climate uh, thing for them rather than something they're concretely reacting to now. 
But your, I mean, your boss, uh, Sir Martin Sorrell, uh, he was, uh, say, on the side of Remain and is disappointed now. But for a multinational company, it should, should not really make any difference. It's, it's a matter of convenience being part of the EU, maybe, something like that, but not really... Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the immediate effects are much more to do with uh, currencies than they are to do with anything else. And nobody's quite clear what's going to happen with the uh, legal and regulatory environment, which will have some effect at some point on the tax environment. But the, uh, you know, the immediate effect is that anybody who's earning money offshore is seeing a, a boost to their profits. And I think at the turn of the year, ITV, uh, obviously one of the biggest broadcasters here, shares were falling on, on fears that the advertising revenues were falling, maybe after Downton Abbey, that, that type of thing. But uh, uh, was, was there a trend, a negative trend anyway in, in the advertising space going into, into June? I, 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 think, I think there's been a trend for the marketing companies to be looking at content and the, the continuing development of their, their, their digital communications, their web communications, so, you know, broadcast is always under pressure. And I think, you know, when there's another factor coming along like this, it, uh, you know, it hits the weak one before it hits the strong one. Social media, is it a two-edged, it's, you know, it's something which has come in, let's say, in the last five years, but has it been a two-edged sword for advertisers that it's, you know, companies expect to have a social media presence or through their marketing? But actually, it, it's you know, if, you've got, if I've got a million followers, I, don't need, I, don't, I might not need to use an advertising agent. Well, it's... It's pretty much an additional medium to most of the big marketeers. I don't know anybody serious who's using it in a, a substitutive way, but they are using it in an additive way. You think that could happen then? Comes uh, I mean, I, I, I expect there would be certain marketeers to whom it could be all that is required, but it, we're not talking about the, the, the big brands that we're all familiar with. Presumably, if you're a, an agency and you can nail social media, you're kind of sorted. I don't know if that's true. Some of the agencies who um, have solely focused on social media have had to expand to, to other things as, you know, sort of agencies, sort of hire more, you know, sort of traditional agencies that haven't focused on social begin to hire specialists into the team. And, and I think the important thing with social is to remember that it's, it's a tactical channel and not a strategic channel. It's one sort of channel of many. So actually the key is, you know, the kind of people who are really skilled at thinking up a whole campaign and strategy for a brand are going to be able to do it almost regardless of the channel. They will understand sort of, you know, they may not have an in-depth understanding of social, but more generally they'll be able to understand the brand and its needs more than perhaps a social media specialist might. So I, it's not necessarily a guarantee, but certainly being sort of, agencies are definitely looking to evolve their digital rosters because conventionally they've, they've frankly not been very strong on that. So you definitely see a specialist kind of, digital agencies doing well, but sort of very niche focus on social, I think, no, probably not. I mean, the serious money is not, is not down at that end of the market. So if you're going to develop your business, you need to be uh, uh, active in the other areas. Uh, and you know, I, I don't think that um, it's, it, it, it's a threat as such. What it is is something that the, the, the big creative agencies have to develop expertise in as well. And the big brands are looking for someone who can put a coherent message out across all channels rather than specifically deal with social media. I was mentioning to you before, when we first met, about the great advertising slogans of the 70s and the naughty but nice, and I like to teach the world to sing, and you remember those in the same way you might remember a good tweet. It's 140 characters, you've got that yeah, or less yeah. to, make your, to get your message across. Yeah. And maybe the, the technology has taken things full circle. Those uh, famous slogans of the, 
of the last century were, um, you know, had huge amounts of broadcast media behind them. And, you know, I think we're looking at micro-impacts at the moment. And I don't think they're moving, you know, the culture of the community along in the way that those sort of things became part of the, you know, the people's turn of phrase in, 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 uh, in, in, in the way they communicated with each other. There's almost a, a great demand these days for a lot more creativity across a much broader spectrum of activities. And it's that that we need to be able to deal with rather than just you know, trying to invent the big hero commercial, which is going to make the, the big impact and have 10 million pounds spent. That's what, that's what uh, businesses of all sizes want. They want the big hero commercial. Well, they, they tend to be less focused on it these days. <laughs> so, so I'm a small business and I've got, a, I've got a pot of money and I want to get the word out. Where would you guys advise me to put that money? Start with you, Shana. Tough, tough question. I mean, social, as, as much as sort of we talk about it as only being a tactical channel, is also has really democratised advertising. So you can, if you're quite clever, and particularly with new tools like targeting, um, so, you know, sort of really going after very particular demographics or particular geographies, you can probably achieve quite a lot with not very much. So, I mean, Facebook has such massive reach, um, and a traditional advertiser may not love me saying this, sort of, pushing Facebook as a, as a sort of platform. But compared to sort of the spend on TV, something like Facebook will be much cheaper. You don't necessarily want to do organic posts, which means I, as the brand, post as I'm a person. You're more likely to sort of pay for coverage on Facebook because that's, that's kind of the weighting that they've done now is you have to spend money with Facebook to actually be exposed to a wider audience. But that's still possibly cheaper if you're sort of quite clever and let's say you're a local business and you only want to target within your local area, you can sort of uh, use Facebook. And obviously, again, sort of there are, you know, the demographic of, face of Facebook is much broader now. It's not just millennials and teenagers. If, if anything, it's actually skewing older. So if you're after that sort of older audience, um, that can be a good way. If you're after a younger audience, Snapchat has very good kind of local targeting techniques that can be very cheap, can also be very expensive as well. But digital channels can be sort of a very inexpensive way of getting started. Snapchat is a very millennial one. Very millennial. So if, if you're going after a really niche young demographic, that, that can be a good way, but definitely not advisable to, to all brands and all places. Barry, what would your advice uh, be? I, I, you know, I think it is all about targeting from the media point of view. You can get your message out to the people you really want to reach and you can do it in a convincing way. Then uh, you know, find the digital channel that will deliver that and, and focus on that. And then you've got the you know, people... People get a bit obsessed about the, the delivery medium and forget about the creativity as well, which can uh, obviously make your, uh, uh, your message have more impact and, and, and get you noticed. So, I mean, if you're a, um, a small business, you need to find something that's impactful, that's provocative and creative that you can be saying about your product or your business and then uh, you know, get it produced by, um, uh, by a production operation, get it ready for uh, uh, the web and then deliver it through a highly targeted medium on the web. So it's the message, not the medium, even though it's... The, well, the, 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 is, you know, the, the phrase was the medium is the message. I'm not no, quite no, sure no. what that meant, but... Uh, the, it sounded the, very there's good. the medium and the message these days, and I think we tend to forget the message because we're all obsessed with the medium because uh, you know, tech is sexy and... Uh, Advertising is a bit last century, as far as I can see. No, but if you, no, but if you can show, if you're a if you're a trendy company and you're advertising or you're, you've got a campaign on Snapchat or Instagram, it makes you look cool, and then people say, uh, "Well, actually, I like I like that absolutely. company." But, like but, that you know, but we've got a number of uh, clients who are doing token presence, shall we say, mm. on the, in those media without any really creative um, 
uh, engagement on those media or you know, impact uh, beyond the fact they're on those media. And so I think it's, uh, you know, we, we need to understand what is the best way to deliver an impactful message that's uh, uh, going to do something worthwhile on the medium and not simply be on the medium. And what about the super traditional mediums? What about, I don't know, newspaper classifieds? Are they, are they still effective? Is it still worth spending your money on those? Or I wouldn't like to say no and dis <laughs> dismiss a whole sort of chunk of uh, the ad industry. I mean, I think so. Um, it, I, again, it really depends on sort of who you're after. So, for example, if you're a sort of diamond brand, I mean, Snapchat's not really going to work for you, but a placement in the FT might, obviously. obviously I mean, everything's finding its own role at yeah. the moment. You know, it's, uh, you know, printed media have their role and digital media have their role and uh, you know it's and there there isn't that kind of gross substitution that everybody was expecting yeah. the growth of digital media and the um the way they've taken over people's uh, free time is very very impactful but but the the print media are still worth um worth thinking about and they're you know they're, they're not out of business except at, at the fringes so what about one part, one aspect of marketing that I interact with a lot, and as a journalist, I'm often quite biased about this, and you will be as well, Shona, PR. Would you, I mean, do you think businesses still need to spend money on PR? Well, PR is morphing at the moment. So it's not just PR any longer, it's uh, PR mediated by the web. So, so you know, that, that social media and PR have, uh, have, have uh, formed a new uh, medium almost together. And so it's um, it's 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 no longer the, the the dark art. It's 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 much more the digital art these days. And uh, you know, I think I think that's that's bringing a lot of new life to PR. I think PR stunts can still be hugely effective for brands as well. So not just about sort of getting the message across, but also just doing fun things. So Paddy Pat are quite famous for doing sort of quite silly marketing stunts, particularly around the Euros. Lots of sort of possibly quite risque sort of parking outside the Russian embassy ahead of the, the match and so on and sort of uh, quite yobbish slogans and so on. They, they get quite a lot of press out of it and it seems to be quite effective for them and works for their brands. So I still think it can be a hugely effective channel if brands are, and agencies are quite clever about it. Okay, well, moving on, one of the campaigns that Hogarth has worked on was Dove's self-conscious campaign. Let's just have a little listen to one of the clips. The more someone makes you think about your body, the harder it becomes to ignore. Take breathing. Usually breathing is so effortless you don't give it a second thought. But now that I mention it, you notice you're doing it consciously. You've been breathing in and out without thinking about it. A few seconds ago, you didn't give any thought to how you breathe. But just one message made sure that you can't stop thinking about it. Now imagine the hundreds of messages girls are exposed to every day, subtly changing the way they think about their bodies. See how you can help at selfesteem.dove.co.uk. Dove, be your beautiful self. So, Barry, I'm feeling slightly out of breath after that. The ad itself doesn't have a huge amount to do with Dove. You know, it's, it's, it's more of a campaign. How do you come up with an idea like that? How, you know, what made you guys decide to go with something like that rather than going, use Dove deodorant, it's really great. I, I, I think a woman ought to answer that rather than a man. Um, so particularly... You can feel it. I can just talk about it. I, I, can, I can feel emotions about it. Um, I, so particularly with a big company like Unilever, which, which has a lot of brands um, that it covers, sort of a lot of it's about positioning the brand rather than simply going after a kind of 
um, I don't want to say cheap, obvious kind of sales tactic. So it could have gone with go by Dove and probably would have seen a sort of rise in sales. But actually, it's trying to say something about the brand. It's trying to position the brand almost as as a friend. And, and there's quite, I can't remember who said this, but there's quite a nice definition of a brand, which is that a brand is a promise. And the promise in that ad is we will make you feel better about yourselves. Um, and we are for you. We're your friend. We're not like glossy women's magazines trying to make you feel bad about yourself. So it's more of a statement that makes you feel something about the brand than an obvious kind of sales play. And that can, over the long term and in the short term, sort of have hugely positive results. So it's a sort of longer term play. I it's think. interesting that it follows on from what well, the impression I have of Dove before. I think that was talking about curvy, curvy women or a banishing stereotypes um, about women. And this takes that narrative on. But it's also a very low-tech, simple advert, not the multi-million pound somebody, you know, jumping through a window and skiing up a hill or down a hill. Or it, it's, it's a very, very simple advert, where, I mean, which, you know, it could be 50 years old, couldn't it? I mean, it could be that. Except if you go back 50 years, you're talking about bar soaps with French perfume at uh, a guinea an ounce and, you know, as worn by, as used by uh, film stars. I mean, it's such a different cut on things and so much more in tune with contemporary attitudes and the association with, you know, the attitude of the user and the attitude of the brand is, is, is very powerful and that's, that's how the best brands are built. Kind of a value statement. Yeah. Yeah, I think how it may have Their started values is, and your values. Exactly. I mean, the germ of the idea may have stemmed from an insight. This is often how these things are born, which is that Unilever may have done some research um, and possibly the agency as well and sort of found, oh, women feel bad they feel worse after buying beauty products or after seeing beauty advertising. This is how the um, PNG Like a Girl ad was born. Um, you know, they sort of take an insight. And that's why the ad is so simple, is because the insight is so true and so human. And so when the insight is that strong, it's kind of can make the execution quite easy. So I think that's why it's such a simple, yeah. But isn't there a danger that you've listened to the ad and you forget what the ad's for? I mean, yes, but I, th I think the the users are, or the the, the the buyers are left with a very positive image that they've picked up. And this is very, you know, a very consistent campaign. It's all subliminal. Uh, I, I'm, thinking, I, I, I'm still thinking of the breathing. I've actually, I've, the, the I, product. I find this quite engaging, actually, because, you know, you, get, you go, oh, my goodness, you know, the breathing, or there's another execution with your tongue, which, you know, you suddenly think what your tongue really is doing. And I, it's quite <laughs> curious the effect it has on you, and you suddenly notice your tongue does seem to be rather too big for your mouth, and they're quite right. And, and weird about that too. <laughs> at, at, the, at the end of this, you, you, you really have become quite drawn into the advertisement. And the, it, it, it's very slight in its branding at the end, but it's so in tune with that brand's values that I think you pick it up quite easily. And I think it's quite, um, you know, you appreciate the, the sophistication of the work and that rubs off on the brand. You know, one, one thing that a, a lot of, um, again, as a journalist I'm working with increasingly is native advertising or content as marketing. I mean, do you think this is something that's going to stay around for a long time? Is, it, is the advertising industry making, it, making room for it, or is this just a kind of fad? I think one of the issues with native advertising is scale. So how, I mean, particularly in digital media, a lot, a lot of the sort of talk around how advertising works in digital media is how do we do it at scale? How do we target a lot of people but make them feel like they're individuals. So how do we do something on bulk that appears to be a personalised advert? Whereas native advertising almost takes it back the other direction. You can only do... I mean, there's 
there's sort of limited native advertising you can do because there are a limited number of writers. You can't, a machine can't produce native advertising in that same way. So that's why... Wait for a bit. <laughs> maybe a robot will turn up that writes beautiful copy. But um, I, I think that could be one problem is sort of one of scale. So I think there is a place for it, but I don't know if it is necessarily for, for publishers that sort of, they should stake their whole futures on that because it's actually possibly quite expensive to run. It, it's difficult because, you know, you've got... Um Genuinely powerful creative ideas are difficult to come by and people are looking for volume of advertising to deal with all the content opportunities. And underlying a lot of that is the desire to actually uh, target the communication so every aspect of the communication is more relevant to that particular viewer on the, on the web. And so you, 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 you've got a kind of... You've got, you're going in two directions at once here where you... You really do want the, uh, the creative idea that pulls people in, but you also want to be highly targeted with every component of the ad and maybe even assembling that advertisement on the fly for that particular user responding to their particular idiosyncrasies. Well, you can't do that with you know, 20 creative components that all add up to one big idea because that's not how it works. So you've got to sort out which bits of these are meant to be relevant and responding to idiosyncrasies and which bits are going to draw in an audience and engage because of the creativity. And you've got to get that balance right across all your communications. Or else you're just going to be relevant but boring, or charming and interesting but not telling me what I'm interested in hearing. So, so given what, what you were saying about scale, Shona, is it something that small businesses could get on board with more than, say, a massive billboard campaign? I think it's always going to depend on cost. I think it can be. So I have known, um, so for example, I, I know about a startup mobile company who don't have huge amounts of marketing budget. They sort of have enough to put some semi-serious marketing in place, but I know that they weren't working on TV spots originally. And they did a partnership with BuzzFeed and with Unilad. They were going after that millennial demographic. So it really worked for them. Um, and I think it can work. I think you just have to really know um, who your audience is. And, but that's sort of key to all advertising, really, is knowing who your audience is. But yes, it can be a way in for for example, a startup. So guys, we're coming, coming to the end of the podcast. Um, just wanted to end on a, should we say, lighter note or contemporary note. Um, Pokemon Go, temporary fad or is it a, a kind of sign of the changing ways of marketing? I think... I think... You look very pained, Barry. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I find, you know, trying to assess all these new things all the time is, is very complicated. The, uh, in, you know, the bringing the digital world and the real world together is obviously a major trend. And, you know, uh, you know, virtual reality is another expression of it, and virtual reality has got a lot of money being bet on it by major corporations at the moment. So, you know, I, I, I have to believe it's, um, it's a major trend for the future, but I don't think we really know at the moment how this is all going to get expressed in a way that really makes a difference to people and and really makes money for the uh, the people who are making all the investments as well. I think it's all a bit unclear where this is all going to end up. Shona? I would probably agree. So I, I kind of love the whole concept of Pokemon Go, but I think whenever something explodes this quickly, you're obviously going to see at some point, probably quite quickly, a drop-off in engagement. So this idea that it's some massive new medium, I think, is not correct. But the fact that an augmented reality app has finally gone mainstream is quite interesting. I mean, AR tech has been knocking around for 
over a decade and now finally people sort of understand what it is and that that's a huge step forward is just that understanding among consumers meaning that as and when brands decide to invest consumers won't be unfamiliar which is always a problem with something like vr um where consumers don't even really quite get the concept of putting a box on your head moved it on from being sick on a virtual reality of a big dipper (laughs) you know so i mean so that seems to be progress well i've got to say come on go love it can't be bothered to get up sometimes With thanks to Barry Jones and Shona Ghosh, this has been City AM Unregulated. And you can get both the City AM podcast and the Marketing Mind, Shona's show, by subscribing via iTunes or Audioboom to listen on the go. City AM Unregulated is an Audioboom production. Mm-hmm.